0: unfortunately, last year we had to do it virtual. And even I said in June of this year, I said, guys, this thing is spiking again. August, it got really bad in Kentucky. I said, we're going to have to do virtual. That was not the Holy Spirit, by the way. (laughs) Because a week later I said, no way, we cannot come together. So just being able to walk through the exhibit hall and seeing the fellowship and this common passion that we all share in medical missions, uh like it's just reminded me just how significant this conference is. So um so anyway, welcome to Louisville. Yes. How long have you been a pastor? I've been here uh for uh eleven years, 2010. So that's part of my story. I used to be a dentist like a mile down the road. And uh when I came to this church in 1989, long time ago, my wife and I, we were just like in a crisis. Our marriage was in crisis. And this church nurtured us, discipled me. I didn't come to faith until late in life. And um, so I was very involved in missions um, before I came on staff. So the Lord, um, when I was, I was about 50 and I was praying this prayer, like, for whatever reason, when I turned got close to 50. I said, okay, wait a minute. Now my life, like I can see the end. Uh, so I might have 15, maybe 20 years by the Lord's grace. What is it you want me to do? So I was a practicing dentist and I loved, loved dentistry. I just loved it. And the Lord really blessed me in it. And um, I graduated in the bottom third of my class, but my colleagues tell me I was one of the best around in, in Louisville only because of the Lord. I'm bragging on what the Lord did because He knew what kind of student I was. And, um, but he, he, so I'm praying this prayer over several months, and I'm sitting in the sanctuary one day, and the Lord speaks to me just like we're speaking right here. He says, Okay, it's all right to sell your dental practice. I said, Really? So I took that as. That's what I was supposed to do. I told my wife, I said, Sherry, sure, you're not going to believe what the Lord just showed me. She goes, what? I told her and she goes, are you sure that's what he said? And I said, I'm positive. So what's beautiful about calling is when you know you've heard from the Lord, you're going to be tempted to resist that call, but you can always go back to that spot where he made it crystal clear because I loved it. I wanted to go back into dentistry, but, uh, the Lord had another plan. So yeah. So I'm a, I was a dentist, I'm a pastor, and our, my, uh, our, our senior pastor said, you just went from the frying pan to the fire. Big time. So I said, yeah, I think the fire is probably a little hotter than the frying pan, actually. <laughs> but, uh, so that's, that's what I do. Um, I have some other things too, but let me pray before we start. Lord Jesus, thank you that we were able to come together once again to fellowship, to hear your voice, to respond in obedience to what you've called us to. Lord, one of the greatest things in life is to find the purpose for which you called us, the work that you have prepared in advance for us to do. And I pray many find that these next three days. I pray for those that have found it, that they will walk alongside those that have not yet found it, To encourage them, to inspire them, to pray with them, to help them discover who they've been designed to be and do for your glory. So, Lord, we give you this time. Holy Spirit, take over. This is your meeting. This is your gathering. Have your way, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, just a couple. Why are you guys here? If you're new here. I, I, don't, I don't mind putting you on the spot because we're among friends, right? Why did you come to this conference? Did you raise your hand right behind George? Yeah. Tell me. Uh, so uh, my wife and I want to go overseas at some point in the next few years, and she's in healthcare, and, um, and I have a background in missions work and um, am a pastor at a church. Plant, so awesome! I can find those two things. Excellent. Well, good to have you. Somebody else. Oh. Oh. I Ah. in Nepal. Just, I'm visiting in, uh, here in the States, just in and my friends share about the conference. And ah. I'm serving in Nepal uh, as a, a mission organization, as well as and Okay, okay. Sweet. Just yesterday, my about this conference. Just, <laughs> <it's very interesting. laughs> wow. So I'll from Hiri, oh, Wow. Well, you know, when you go through the exhibit hall, you'll find all kinds of folks doing work in Nepal or that want to do work in Nepal. So, yeah, I'm glad you're here. Yeah. You know, that's what makes this so special is the the folks that travel so far to get here. uh, That makes it a blessing. So, yeah, great to have you. One more on this side. Um, I'm with a company that helps missions with uh, malaria prevention. Okay. Really good. Yeah, you know, um, one of the things, I was, a business, I, had a, I was a dental practice, but also had a, a medical business, also. And one of the downfalls for the church that I've noticed, I noticed before, but is we don't have a good way to connect with businesses. Um, or even people that have the mentality of a businessman or woman, like I have that mentality, and it feels a little out of place sometimes in the church. So when we merge that, look out. So it's really good to have you here. We're trying to do business as a mission. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a big deal. So, okay, hey, there's my gang, all ten of my grandchildren. What a blessing they are. Have, who has grandchildren? Yeah, change your life, doesn't it? Like, wow, where did that come from? So it's really, it's really awesome. So, hey, I want to share with you a little bit of. Um, Uh, somewhat of a devotion because this really uh, impacted my heart big time. And I think it's super important um, as a follower of Jesus that we kind of take a look in the mirror sometimes and evaluate some things. So I was listening to a friend of mine who is a missionary in Eastern Europe talk about his dad. And he talks about a conversation he had with his dad and his dad uh was a pastor, a missionary, and now his dad's 85 years old. So even my friend was born in the Philippines because his parents were missionaries to the Philippines. His dad was a theologian, knew the scriptures better than anybody. And so David, his son, my friend said, hey dad, I want to ask you a question. You know, you have seen, you're 85 years old, you've seen God do a ton of stuff, amazing things. In your life. It happens to be his four sons are all in ministry doing incredible works. I mean, his dad has a full view of this. After 85 years, he's just seen God do amazing things. So, Dad, when you think about these things, what do you feel? And you know what his dad said? He said, regret. And David said, regret? After all you've seen God do? He goes, yeah. He goes, Dad, even last year you you preached at our conference And we loved it. You were awesome. He goes, oh, Dave, I just should have said this. I should have said that. You know, I I just missed out on some amazing opportunities. Well, it bothered his son. So his son said, after a couple of days, he goes, Dad, we've got to pray about this because I know God wants you to feel that way. So what's what's the thing we say right before we accept Christ? What do we say? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? What's the rest? Son of living God. And then what's the last phrase we say? Your Lord and Savior. Here's a man, 85 years old, has seen God do phenomenal things, knows the scripture in and out, and he feels regret. So Dave and his dad start to pray. After two minutes... His dad stops him. He says, Dave, I've heard from the Lord. The problem was, I was making myself my Lord instead of Jesus my Lord. And then Dave said he he confessed, he prayed, asked the Lord to forgive him. But it is so easy to do, to be self-reliant on ourselves, to deal and, and take Jesus off. The, the throne of our life. And so even as pastors and seasoned missionary, and you won't get any more seasoned than Dave Patty's dad, he had that temptation. So we have in, in dentistry, we had this word called incipient. Incipient means, an uh, incipient cavity is a little tiny cavity that you can see that's just starting. And that's what this feels like with me. This can be a very incipient thing you don't even know has happened. So as soon as he Dave's sharing this story. I said, oh, Lord, that's me. Ah, oh, so I had this nagging, like, what is it, Lord? Why can't I find peace in that? And I was making myself Lord of my life instead of putting Jesus there. So it's a constant surrender that we have to do. So, you know, the greatest threat to Christianity today is complacent Christians. We need sold-out Christians today. And... um we want to have the temptation to feel the fullness of Christ without the sacrifice. You know, being a follower of Christ should cost us something. It really should. The one thing that, that hurts all of our ministry, and especially my ministry, more than anything, is self-sufficiency. If we think we can do it on our own. But, you know, sometimes we, I will mouth it, but really deep down in my heart, so you, we always have to be checking our heart. And so we can't rely on ourselves. It has to be the Lord. So we have to surrender to what? To what? We surrender to the love of Jesus. Until the love of Jesus captures everything, every thought we have. So here's the thing. I read this. I don't know if Calvin said it. A theologian in here will tell us. But this is so true. Our minds are idol makers. We're like factories of idols. And so we have to check our minds because we can do this in a very – incipient way that that creates a problem so anyway be careful of incipient sin so let's talk about what we're here to talk about today uh not my grandchildren we're talking here to talk about uh what happens when the church goes together a brief history of the last 300 years on missions so we have this like a jeopardy thing right we got coffins long-hanging fruit Soft Western church, global unity. So what's the big deal with coffins? Well, you used to have to take with you You the rest of your life over it. I shared that with somebody the other day, and they said, what? So missionaries in the 171800s they packed their clothes in their coffins because they knew the disease in India or Africa or wherever they went was going to kill them, and they were going to come home in their coffin. That's surrender. So the church... And many of these places have been established and ready to go. Even, who works in Kenya? Oh, I got my LA friends right here. So, I'm not sure this is 100% accurate, but the first missionary went to Kenya in 1895, 1845. Not that long ago. Kenya is now 85% Christian. So that tells you are as many mistakes as, as were made, but God used them. The church, is everywhere. I'm telling you it's everywhere. It's harder to find some places, I'll say that, but it's but it's everywhere. So, um Yeah. So, we kind of reached the low-hanging fruit um and but now this next fruit is going to be much harder. So, so the role of the American church is different. The one of the things America the Western church struggles with is spiritual warfare, honestly. I was talking to a friend of mine who is in a large church in Phoenix, and his job for the last seven years has been to send American missionaries to the 1040 window. This church has, i want to say, 20,000 members. In seven years, they've sent 18 missionaries. And a third of them have come home already. So... We just got to be careful about how we, how strategic we are with things. So the Western Church has a big role to play, but we have to understand our times and the gifts that God has put in different peoples and tribes. So, um, I love, this is, this is not a relay race, you know. Some people say the church has moved to the global south, so it's like a, a relay race. You know how you pass a baton. And then as soon as you pass it, what do you do? You stop running, and you just cheer the other one on. No, that's not the way this is. This is an all-out war. Like, it's all hands on deck. Every warrior playing their part in this war. And when that happens, look out. That's the power of, of unity. It's the power of going together. Guys, we, um, first off, positionally, it's over, right? The victory's ours. But practically speaking, there's some work to do. So, uh, like for I was talking about Afghanistan. Well, there's Jamie Saint. I was talking about Afghanistan and uh, and the withdrawal. But man, you're going to hear reports about what God is doing in refugee areas where Afghans left. They're in Tajikistan. They're we ran into them in Greece. They're all over. God is using this mass migration to reach Syrians, people we had no access to before. To reach Iranians, the Iranian Church in Athens, Greece, is massive. It's phenomenal, but they're all baby Christians. So that's why we have to think, rethink missions as as Americans, because um, you can be highly effective with a six-week stint in Athens under the leadership of the of the Greek Church. They're the ones reaching out to uh, these internationals that are coming into into Greece. And so we want to leverage these opportunities. So this new paradigm. So when I say that Christianity is moving to the global south, what do you guys, how do you understand that? Do you know what that means? That's a yes, I guess. Maybe I I asked the question the wrong way. You you want to have say something, sir? Yeah, the growth of the church is in the global south. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Exactly. Yeah. And and uh, so that means the roles have shifted have changed. That doesn't mean we're li- any, we're working any less than we always were, but we're working more strategically. So, like I said earlier, the church has been established around the world. It's rooted. And honestly, there's some places that the church is not doing so well. I was just in Liberia, and my friends are from Congo, and it's it's hard there. But the church is there. So I used to get hung up on this because I wanted to only work uh, where the unreached people groups are. But if we don't go and strengthen the church in Congo or strengthen the church in Liberia, you give that 25 years and it will be Islamic. So we have to fight for them now. Fight with them now. So um, And really this idea of the 1040 window and the Joshua Project is rooted in the U.S., well, if the center of Christianity is in this global south, we gotta rethink some of the things that we're saying as far as, uh, what that means to go to the 1041 window. I'll talk more about that. Uh, we talked about the, the low-hanging fruit, the different challenges we have now. But you know, our Westerners, we have political issues, we have spiritual warfare issues, we have language and cultural issues. Our barrier of entry is higher than non-Westerners. So that's another thing that we have to think about. You know, God, if you think about it, is super strategic. Uh, he's a planning God. Even he says in Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, but I know the plans because I have plans. If you doubt that, look where he put the nation of Israel. Right in the center of all the trade routes so that everybody would have the opportunity to hear about God and more and more. So God plans. So he expects us, to be strategic also. So one of the things that we can think about is that um, how uh, or well or how good would like Americans be in places of extreme poverty? Well, we come from pretty affluent wealth and a lot of materialism and a materialistic mindset. It's difficult for an American to go and not think the way to fix this problem is they just need material. So like strategically when we think about sending workers to areas where there's a lot of poverty, we don't think about sending Americans. When we think about Saudi Arabia and there's a ministry here that that works there. As far as infidels go, they love Americans. So if if you are a any kind of healthcare worker any kind of engineer any kind of teacher you can speak english you can get a job in the saudi arabia take a position where you're paid and and just live on mission so that's a great place to send americans um, and, and we, we need to share uh the resources that we have um for example, there was an Afghan friend of mine working in Afghanistan, working his heart out, sharing his faith, but just was having trouble, having success. He's, we have a, a relationship with a ministry that's already working in Afghanistan. They have a whole program designed for Afghans to teach them about God and how to walk with God. He got that training and his ministry took off. So there's resources in the church that we need to connect people, and that's what this conference is all about. So here's a mindset that needs to change a little bit in Americans' American mindset because um, and I just want to go through these scripture verses to talk about that. So it says in Galatians that there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. You are all all one in Jesus Christ. So when we think about working with people around the world, we have to go with a 50-50 deal. You know, I was in business with a guy for 40 years. We had a partnership, 50-50 partnership. We had one fight in 40 years. And if you meet this guy, you'd say, this dude ain't a thing. Like, how did you guys get along for 40 years? But always we were putting the other ahead of the other. Of ourselves. We were always doing. That was our mentality. And that's that's what Jesus calls us to do. That's what Jesus did for us, right? So you can't go into a partnership like that. Now, I happened to be at a sister conference in Nairobi. And they put me on a panel with about 400 Africans. So they started asking questions like, Why do you Americans come to our communities And start doing things we never ask you to do. Like, that's a problem. That's not partnership. So I said to them, why do you let them come in there and do these things you don't want them to do? Well, you guys have all the stuff. We don't have much stuff. So whatever stuff you have, we'll take in whatever form you want to give it. So... We're not going to say anything. Um, Another African asked me, he goes, you know, I'm in an American church, and they bring me this lady that wants to go to Africa and uh, serve. So this African starts talking to this American lady, and uh, she's got all kinds of problems of her own, and the church is not dressing it. So this African says, "Why why do you want to send her all the way to Africa And you're stepping over all kinds of problems in your own church. That doesn't make any sense to us. So, like, when you get a chance to get, you know, outnumbered like 400 to 1, they'll tell you what they're thinking. And so that was very powerful for me. So, um, you know, it talks about the body of Christ. And, like, I love this verse. God arranged the members in the body. He arranged the members in the body, not us. So he gave gifts to some and not gifts to others, but he gave them other gifts. So as it is, there are many parts, one body. So my friend Victor is here. He says, you know, I don't understand why the church is, does what it does. Because really, there's not a multiple heavens. There's only one heaven. We're all going to be there someday. So why don't we start acting like it now? And and so it requires a a level of humility as we enter into relationship with each other. Um, There should be no division in the body. I can tell you, division in the body, I can tell you in our city, when a church splits, it's horrific. It's horrific. It shouldn't be that way. And, And so we can't have division in the body. And if one suffers, we all suffer. In this city, we have West Louisville kids that live in urban areas that are very poor and subjected to a lot. Well, these are our kids. These are our kids in our city. And the church is sitting here and not helping the church in West Louisville do that. And that's not easy. It's hard work. Actually, it's harder work than going to Afghanistan, working in your own city. So we have to think uh, community and more global in our understanding. We have to think about the whole church and we know about identity. There's no, it's, we're all the same. First we're Christians. First we're um, followers of Jesus. Second, we're Americans or Kenyans or, or whatever, or dentist or whatever our identity is found. And so when we have that level of understanding, that's who we are first. Then we just want to honor one another and love one another and care for one another. So um, this is a good one. This will trip my theologians up in the room. But um, we have to be open to equal interpretation of the scriptures. Now I'm not saying we compromise on the things that we don't compromise on. And we all know what that is. But when we work with our black pastors in West Louisville. They want to talk about justice and justice is all through the scriptures. What do we want to talk about in the white church and suburban areas? We talk about personal holiness. So there's a difference, but they're both there. So like one doesn't understand the other, like, where are you coming from? You interpret the scripture this way. Well, no, this is true too. So I think we have to open our minds to understand. And here's what Africans really helped me understand. So, Everybody knows the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Um, who knows the Great Concern? The Great Concern. Have you heard the Great Concern? Like half these people here know what I'm talking about, and I apologize, guys. But the Great Concern. So we have the, one of the largest Baptist seminaries in the country in our hometown. They'll they'll preach the Great Commission. They'll teach the Great Commission, the Great Commandment all day long. They're all over that. But I haven't been to student there but the students that I know that are there say they never bring up the great concern like what is the great concern so I think it's an integral part of the gospel and if you if we're not doing that there were then we're we're not really having the power that that God has for us to, to really minister to people. So the great concern is from Matthew 25 where it says, Hey, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink and I was hungry and you fed me. I was in prison. You visited me. But you know what I noticed that Americans compartmentalize that. Oh yeah, I, I gave you something to drink or I gave you some food when you need it, but that's it. No, you got the whole great commission and great commandment to fulfill with these folks too. So, um, so without that, then this is what the African church, church has taught us. You have to love the whole person. You have to love them physically, spiritually, emotionally, socially. So just a little testimony. My son-in-law, who has, he actually, to my regret, he's not my son-in-law anymore because he is so angry all the time. And so he grew up in the church. He never missed a day at church. But he had these huge emotional things baggage he was carrying since he was a little boy, and it never was addressed. He never had the opportunity to be ministered to. So, especially now post-COVID, uh, now we're starting to understand trauma better. We have to minister the whole person. If we just minister spiritually and physically, we're missing out, and we're not we're disobedient to what the Lord has called us to do. So that's what that's a different interpretation. Because if I say that at the Baptist Seminary, would I be in trouble, guys? Not, not trouble. Would I be in trouble? Absolutely. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but so that's we have to be open about that and an equal empowerment. So, um, be kind to one another, listen to one another, be tender-hearted with one another, submit to one another. All of these are critical if we're going to be successful in these last days to finish the task that the Lord has given us. Okay, I want to get to some fun stories because I'm, I'm not really a preacher, and I don't know where my little arrow went. But. Excuse me. Yes. I just can't quite see the screen from here, but what's the scripture text for the great concern? Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Yeah. Yeah. So you, um, yeah. So there's about 10 people in this room that would love to talk to you about that. That, um, the ladies sitting, those two ladies sitting right in front of you, they can explain, explain more of that too. So, but that's a big deal. Okay, let's talk about Jamaica. Western missionaries spent two centuries in Jamaica. Guess what? Super successful. More churches per capita than any nation in the world. Highest murder rate per per capita than any nation in the world. How can that coexist? So uh, Americans are weaning out. But you know what Americans did? They keep funding the church in Jamaica for the last 50 years. So these little churches that they started 50 years ago, they're still funding a little bit. But um, So how would you apply? So the Kenyan missionaries go to Jamaica fully equipped in the three Cs. And so they start visiting with the the police chief of this pretty, probably the fifth largest city. He goes, you know, if you're coming here to build us more hospitals, we don't need more hospitals. Definitely don't need any more churches. Definitely don't, hey, we're good on schools. Um, Yeah. But you know what the number one call we make in our community is? Violence within the family. They're angry with each other and they kill one another and they hurt one another. He goes, if you could do something with a Jamaican family, that would really help us. So, you know, if you just armed with a great commission, a great command, it be like, well, no, they just need Jesus. No, they need Jesus, yes, but they also need to understand where this is coming from and why they had this conflict. So, Jamaica is, has a brutal history of a, it was a distribution hub for slavery and, Uh, families are broken up. It's a long history. I need to understand that better, but, so these Kenyans go in and they start, um, saying, we're having a, they go to community. So they say, we're having a nine week, nine week class on family conflict. Nine weeks at the church. Come. (laughs) So (laughs) people start coming. And the class starts to build and build and build and they start to experience healing and reconciliation and beautiful things of restoration and it's powerful. But you know, that's the beauty of the kingdom of God because now those skills and gifts that they possess have been leveraged for the, and it's impacting the whole nation. They're an island nation, but it's impacting the whole nation. So that's what's possible when we go together. Now, Kenyan missionaries, sometimes they need some funding, and so that's where the Americans can help. Or we'll send a team of counselors from the U.S. to Jamaica to do a short-term trip to help accentuate the the training. But you know what Americans do? They need another church. We need to do a church plant. That's what we need to do in Jamaica. (laughs) So sometimes we forget to ask great questions. Okay. I passed up Ghana. Ghana, West Africa is... Um, so the missionaries over the last 200 years did a great job. So uh, the church has planted about 100 miles inland off the coast of West Africa. You get further than that is Islam. So something needs to be done in northern Ghana because they, they struggle. One of the things that they struggle with was there's one part-time government dentist for... Two million people. So that's a problem. So when you go do a dental clinic there, 300 people instantly show up like that. And then work gets out, and when you time to leave, there's 500 people when you leave. So uh, that's just one of the social and physical issues that they have was dentistry. So, again, we go together. So in this case, again, it's Kenyans. And the Kenyans get there and they say, the Americans say, we need to plant churches. There's not churches here because we don't see them as Americans. But the Kenyans go and they say, like, there's a church, there's churches everywhere. (laughs) They're small, they're struggling, but they're everywhere. We go, what? Yeah. So why don't we come and let's empower the church? What about that? Let, let's let the church just teach them what it means to be the church. So these Kenyans run point on preparing the church to love their community, to be relevant for the, their community. And then, now these Kenyans can host American short-term teams that will bring in skills that will help that local church. But see, the church has been prepared already. Because they know what it means to do, to love the whole person, to do holistic ministry. So now we're great with our skills, whether it's medical, dental, sports. We know how to do a sports camp uh early childhood development. They one of the things they wanted to do is to reach out to kids so they there are teachers that came over and taught the the church how to take care of three to five year olds and so they started schools. So that's the beauty of, of really going together um as a church. So this is my last example then I'll I'll close a little bit. But so this picture is Haiti. You know what these are? These pavilions back here? These little portable? These were brought there in 2012 after the earthquake by the Czech Republic. Europeans have a huge heart. And they do a lot of great humanitarian work around the world. But after three or four years, the crisis is over. They bug out. So they said, you guys want all this stuff? And it's a nice facility and we're not going to use it anymore. So... We started exploring together with our Kenyan friend, and this is Dr. Florence Mwindi, who leads a ministry out of East Africa. She said, let's go to Haiti. And it it was really honestly a horrible experience for her in our first site visit because when she went there, she saw her tribe in Africa. The way they packed their charcoal was exactly the way they did it in her tribe in Africa. Even the plants they had. Voodoo is super strong in her tribe in Africa. Voodoo is super strong in Haiti. So she felt like her tribe was responsible for bringing these things, especially voodoo, on this nation. So we, we partner with this ministry, Life in Abundance, to, to take these facilities and start a medical clinic and start to empower the church. So this is Zeph, who is a Haitian pastor Now, there's a whole cadre of Haitian pastors serving together in this community, equipping the church on how to love the whole person and how to transform lives. Now, there's a Kenyan missionaries that went to Haiti, but after three years, they're out. Same in Ghana. They go there three years and they're out. This is – who else did that? Who else did that three years and out? Jesus. Jesus. So if you stay too long, what happens is they become dependent on that missionary instead of dependent on Jesus. So when when these missionaries leave, oh, you should see it. People are crying like babies. No, please don't leave us. I can't believe you're going to leave us. No, we need you. No, you have the Holy Spirit. You have everything you need. You have the Bible. Go do what God tells you to do. That's a difference from Americans. So what do we do? We go, we stay, and we stay, and we stay. So Florence grew up in Kenya under the services of a Western missionary. There was a Western missionary in her community. Um, so you know what we did is the missionary led the church. The missionary uh, had all the skills. The missionary did everything. And the Kenyans were, like, left to go to church and do their thing. On our old model, we didn't go to empower others. We just went there to to bring people to Jesus, and they did great, and it's successful. But now this latest approach requires a more in-depth approach as we go together. So, uh, So I told you I was a dentist, and I used to go and do dentistry. But if you can use short, you can use short-term missions in a significant way to empower churches in some of the most frontier areas on the planet. So, we, we gotta think like one church, and we have to go as one. So, when we go to India, we go under the authority of the local church. When we go to Nepal, it's under the authority of the local church. And we, we go to Teach and not to do. Because when you go to do and you leave, there's more people than ever and everything stops. But when you go to teach, you give skills that allow the gospel to penetrate that community. And I can tell story after story about that. But um, these are just a few of the countries, frontier countries. I'm not talking about the Caribbean. I'm not talking about... Central America, South America. I'm talking about frontier areas, especially in heavily Hindu, heavily Muslim areas, where health care can be extremely effective when you go and you teach them how to do it. So I'll just show. This is, for example, in Mumbai, 24 million people. This is a clinic, and they're teaching uh, dental hygiene. So they give them a scaler. You had your teeth cleaned with ultrasonic scaler. They have all the stuff we'd use at home. And they're teaching them how to do that. So these guys that are coming in are mostly businessmen coming out of work. You can have my teeth cleaned. It's not going to cost me anything because they're learning. So we're not going to charge them. But so we take a picture with their own iPhone of their teeth and they got some nasty looking teeth. Just black and you know, they hadn't had their teeth cleaned. And then we take a picture after. And like, there's like, wow. So you're building value uh, for them. But the whole time, you get to talk to them about Jesus. You get to pray with them. You got both hands in their mouth. What are they going to say? <laughs> there's no back talk. And, and so this is a super powerful. So uh, just, I just want to encourage you, like, um, God, what do you have that you got yourself? Nothing. Everything you have, God gave it to you. So, what did He put in your hands that you can use for the kingdom? So, this is this picture means a lot to me because this is uh, a classmate of mine who retired from dentistry, never been on a mission trip, really not that serious about Jesus. He, his wife would always say, "Hey, you need to go with Charlie on a mission trip." You know, uh, I don't know. So I said, "Okay, Tim, let's go to India." He goes, man, my back is killing me. I hurt my back, you know. And uh I said, look, you don't have to pull a single tooth. What? No, you're just going to go teach. That's all you're going to do. So he goes. He doesn't pray with people that much. He doesn't. He doesn't really share his faith that much. But he has a great heart. So here he is showing. Who is this Shankar? Anthony. Oh, that's not. Oh, really? I don't think that's... But anyway, but you see his hand. He's got his hand over it. I just love that. And I, I know how gentle he is. And he's just kind of directing this guy who's just now learning how to take out teeth, how to hold that instrument, where to put the force to get that tooth out. And he just has to do that about... This guy has to do this about 100 times, and then he's got it. And And then he doesn't need the hand anymore. And then this hand in the blue glove... It's the hand that's showing somebody else how to do it. And it's, in this person, okay, my wife's grandmother had 10 babies. She had multiple toothaches. So somebody said, What's worse, a toothache or having a baby? Toothache any day. Any day, a toothache's worse. <laughs> like, really? Then baby, yeah. So you think about that. When this patient, many times for years, they had this severe pain, worse than, than having a baby, and you're going to sit them in a chair, and you're going to do that safely, effectively, pain-free, and you, when you're done and it's out and you show them all the roots are out, you're good. I'll, tomorrow when you wake up and that pain is gone, I want you to thank Jesus for what he did for you because that's why we're here. So if you want to talk about Jesus, I'd love to talk about Jesus. Is there anything we can pray for you? That is a powerful way to share the gospel. Jesus preached and healed all the time, right? There's a connection between sharing the gospel and healing. And this is all this is doing is modeling what Jesus did for us. So, I don't know what your skills are, but you, there's lots of skills. Americans are rarely without skills. So what's in your hand that you can pass on? See, I used to go and do dentistry, and so they would say, Oh, Dr. Charlie, you pull teeth like a baby. Like, okay, great. That's the way to go. But I don't want the glory. Man, that's the last thing we want to do, right, is steal God's glory. That's like no good. So when we know we can train folks and do that, and God gets the glory, it don't get no better than that right there. That, that's the ultimate. So, what's in your hand that you can pass on? So, we need each other so badly, right? When was the last time you had, a, like you might have special churches that, I don't know of any churches in our city. When was the last time you had an all-night prayer meeting in your church? I know what Brother Jason does, but like you don't have that very often. And like that, if if prayer is really, if we really believe that prayer is the real work of the ministry and everything else just comes from prayer, where's our all-night prayer meetings? So in our community, we are, have Africans come to our city and they say, how do you survive without an all-night prayer meeting? How do you get anything done if you don't pray all night? So So it's not... it. It's not us given to them, it's back and forth. It's sharpening one another and it's it's being that body of Christ that God called us to be. That's that's all it is. So So what do you want to talk about? What kind of questions you guys have? And look. Stand up, Jane. Okay, so here's a power. So do you guys know his dad, Steve Saint? Steve Steve's the one that put me on this. And Steve says to me one time, he had this dental chair. And uh, like, oh, for short-term missions. I said, oh, okay, great. Dental chair for short-term missions, okay. Because the missions pastor at the time wanted me to meet this guy. I didn't know anything about Steve Saint. How can I not know anything about Steve Saint? So I didn't. So I see this dental chair. I said, oh, that's pretty cool. That is actually pretty cool. A lot better than I thought it would be. You can strap it on your back. You can carry it into any parts of the world and I mean, it, it sets up, it looks great, it's professional, it's durable. So he and his team had developed this dental chair for, for to provide dental care in remote areas. Okay. So he eased he into it a little bit. So later that we go to lunch. He goes, Charlie, why do you go do dentistry? Why don't you teach it? And I said, are you outside your mind? It took me four years to learn how to do that. And I'm going to teach it in six days? Okay. Totally uncharacteristic of him. He was silent. He didn't say a word. And he said, uh, so he just left it. But boy, that seed was planted. Because I had just come out of a bad experience where we're here leaving all these people behind. And I even said to the Lord, this can't be the way you want to do things. How do you want to do it? Because these people are really suffering. Does that say ten minutes? Okay. So I started marinating, and the Holy Spirit took over. I called on my friend in northern Ghana. I said, hey, how about if we come teach you? Okay, come. That was it. And now there's a whole cadre of dentists that are going to frontier areas around the world that are healing people and seeing people come to Christ. In northern Ghana, it was so bad, it was almost like the Jesus film. Remember how the Jesus film came out? Everybody would see it like, yes, I want Jesus. But the church wasn't ready to receive all these new believers. So that's almost, initially, that's how bad it was. I mean, everybody was coming to faith. So, yeah, so you've got to be careful of that. All right, questions? Did you by chance train Shadonka Johnson's workers? I, I didn't train Shadonka. Where is he? No, I think Empower trained them. So Empower is the ministry, or did you guys train them? Go to Sierra Leone? Using I, uh, I, I bet it was, I think Empower. There's a couple of ministries here, like iTech, uh, which is on the first floor. Empower te- teach to transform, which does this same thing with healthcare. So they go to frontier areas where the gospel isn't, and they teach the church how to do healthcare. So, yeah, so the empower team trained them. I didn't train them. yeah what are the questions? Great commission the third c great concern, okay, yeah yeah again, it's that interpretation that we don't get from the West, yeah. I've been going to this church for 31 years, maybe longer than that. I've never heard that preached that way. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it's not true. So, yeah. But it's good to understand what people are saying and and learn from them. So, yeah. Yes, ma'am. In an American church? Yeah. Hmm. You, perspectives. We'll have. That's a good one. That's You know perspectives? Okay. That's a good one. But we teach that here. Been teaching it for 20 years. And we do get a lot of fruit out of that. But our church is, I don't know, pre-COVID, we're 28,000. And uh, we don't send that many. Now, our pastor doesn't talk about it from the pulpit. I think it's his heart, actually. Uh, but he's, he's not emphasizing that. I think that, that helps, number one, is it's on the pastor's heart. Um, number two, I would almost say that um, as, I would, as being in this position as a mission pastor and seeing who we're sending, when we send them, we almost assume they're coming back early. We just take that for granted. So when they come back early, we say, that's okay. The Lord called you. What happened? Let's deal with these, these wounds that you received. Let's clean, clean them up. Let's dress you up. Now let's go back. So we found that to be the case. So we have some missionaries in Indonesia that are phenomenal, phenomenal, you know, and that's what happened to them. They're a young couple. They went to the field, horrific experience. I'm done. We said, no, it's okay. Let's pray. Let's talk. Here's what's interesting. The young lady that went had a grandfather that was like a 39-degree Mason. So he made pledges to the enemy about his legacy that she didn't know about. She goes to... Afghanistan, and she goes, I, I got like a target on my back. Everywhere I turn, I'm having all these things that the enemy's on. So, we don't know spiritual warfare. But you know who's an expert on spiritual warfare? Her, because <laughs> she's experienced it. So I would say, and the, that's what I would say. The other thing is, I'm not sure, as, as, except for very special situations, um, that Americans are supposed to go everywhere. That's what I would say. I wouldn't encourage an American to go to Haiti. Um, if God called them and that's crystal clear, okay, but let's join an organization that's gonna gonna address the whole person and, and minister in a holistic way with the Great Concern added to the Great Commission, Great Commandment. So but that's a big burden, isn't it? Yeah. Yes sir. But the missionaries that you sent from this church, are you the agency or are they the of other agencies? We 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 work through sending agencies, a variety of them. Yeah. Some churches don't do that. This church that I was just talking to, they didn't do that. So, yeah. So, so the pre field training isn't. Uh, it's not adequate? Or, I mean, no. Can you just send long terms and you know they're coming back? I'm sure you've analyzed it. What's the problem? I'll, I'll, like, briefly, the problem is. Yeah, no. I would say the question is. Why are missionaries coming back too soon? And why aren't they lasting the way they should? It's really simple, I think. They are totally blown away by spiritual warfare. They're not grounded in that. And so we try to teach them. Sending agencies try to teach them. But until you experience it face-to-face, you don't know what to do with it. That's what I would say. If you made it simplistic. Now, um, it could be other issues, honestly, like the emotional issues that haven't been dealt with, or sometimes it's marital issues that come up. Yeah, unfortunately. No, you're right. Yeah, no, yeah. Yes, unfortunately. It's sad. But we don't recognize it sometimes. So... Okay. My time is up. No, yeah. I to ask if you would oh, you Yeah. you, it, you five stars. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, thank you guys. One we have one room for one last question or comment? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that comes down to that person's own feeling about mm-hmm. it, but it isn't corroborated by their closest friends, their mentors, so mm-hmm. it it has a lot to do with our individualistic culture. We are hyper individualistic mm-hmm. culture. And if I come into my pastor and I think this, I, I feel like I'm being called to this location you're not going to tell me any, anything else because I'm convinced of that. Even though the pastor is sitting back and thinking, oh, you're, I don't really think that's where you're supposed to go. So when we have people who are being sent, I think there's a real lack of understanding of what calling really mm-hmm. is. And then all that's necessary to send somebody into, a, you know, into Chad or South Yeah, there's um I would say I don't it's what I've noticed, but I when I talk to presidents of sending agencies, they tell me the same thing. The field is harder, the workers are softer, we are seeing a lot more coming back sooner than I ever expected. Twenty percent of mission of medical missionaries came off the field during COVID and they said they're not going back. Well I think now has seen more come back than go. Yeah. Yeah, it's reversed. Yeah, so we have some work to do. But, yeah, so thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Yes, sir? Charlie, this is so encouraging to hear. I, the one, one thing I want to just add into this is that when we go with our medical professions, it's the right people we train. One of the reasons that Shudanke was so successful in all of West Africa is that he had the dentist from Michigan train his top church planters who were using the movement, Mm-hmm. They started planting churches. that Yeah. Churches instead mm-hmm. of the attractional model of the mm-hmm. radically mm-hmm. effective. That yeah. So yeah. We can we can link those two together. Yeah. Practice and helping traditional churches to think of movements. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Let me pray for us. Father, grateful for our time together. We thank you for all the work that is represented in this room. Um, uh, and the impact that they're having. We pray, Lord, there was just a pearl or two. When I come to these, I just want a pearl or two, and that's enough. So I just pray a pearl or two will take root and, and move, that there will be significant partnerships formed during our time these next three days together, that um, you would move your kingdom forward in such a powerful way. You know, you said, Jesus, your very words were, um, how will the world know that you're my disciple?" And it's so simple. As we love one another, as we honor one another, as we go together, we can honor you. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.